With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. February edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Dr. Ross Green here, along with the Director of Outreach at Lives in the Balance, Kim Hopkins. Kim, how are you today? Good morning. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am doing well. The snow is still beautiful. Um, still a little too cold for my taste, but uh, that's the northeastern winter for you. Um, we're going to find out if Jen uh, and um, Jen and Bella Bella are going to be joining us today. In the meantime, since we always, by the way, if you do have a question or comment, uh, call 347-994-2981 and press 1. And we have somebody who's been waiting for almost 13 minutes at this point from Delaware. So we always give callers the top priority on the program. Kim, are you ready to start? Let's do it. Here we go. Area code 302, you are on the air. What's on your mind today? Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. You bet. Um, I am... um, kind of new to the program. Um, I learned about you somewhat recently. I've been listening to a lot of your podcasts. I've been all over your website watching your videos. Um, I have an eight-and-a-half-year-old daughter. I won't say any names. Um, And she's the one who has definitely some lagging skills, and we have plenty of unsolved problems. I also have a six-year-old son and a -a three-and-a-half-year-old son who obviously are by no means perfect, but definitely do not have as many lagging skills. And I think the eight-and-a-half-year-old recognizes that, um, and that is definitely causing a lot of competition um, in her mind um, between her and especially the six-year-old, um, which is leading, leading to some of the um, unlucky behaviors. Um, I did do the ALSEP. Um, ALSEP um, we have for her, I'm saying 10 lagging skills, and at the moment, I have 16 unsolved problems, and I don't think I have them all yet. <laughs> I think that's just the ones I've recognized. Um, so I guess, you know, in my head, everything's kind of a priority, but I know we can't do them all at once. So I guess I'm looking for maybe some guidance on how to prioritize them. Um, Right now, I've kind of just been like addressing them as they come up um, with her, you know, when we calm down, kind of saying, you know, can we try to like go back and maybe think about like what, because she goes from, you know, zero to 100. So, you know, you were in a, 
you were you were feeling great, we were happy, we were cheerful, and then all of a sudden, obviously, something happened that made you feel differently. Can we try to, like, figure out what that was? Let's work through it so that, you know, hopefully we can figure out a way so that doesn't happen again. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm just kind of looking for some guidance on kind of, of where to go and how to pick where to start kind of thing. Got it. Well, um, here's the deal. First of all, you've got a lot of the lingo of the model down pat already. So um, the fact that you know about the distinction between lucky and unlucky concerning behaviors uh, says you have been listening carefully and studying carefully, which is great. <laughs> I have. Um, the fact that your daughter has, what did you say, eight lagging skills? Ten. Ten. That tells us why she's responding so poorly to problems and frustration. Problems tell you what problems and frustrations she's responding poorly to. Mm -hmm. The whole goal of doing the ALSA is to identify, as you have done, is to identify those unsolved problems proactively. So the lagging skills are your explanation. The unsolved problems are what you're actually going to be working on with your daughter and trying to solve. But the reason you have, were able to identify those 16 unsolved problems is because they're predictable. Right. And you're right, there may be a few more, but well done on the 16. But you. now you don't have to wait until they come up to try to solve them. Now you can solve them proactively. I think all of that probably makes good sense to you at this point. The usual algorithm for which unsolved problems to pick are safety, any unsolved problems that are setting in motion safety issues or a high priority because safety is your top priority. If none of the unsolved problems are causing safety issues, you want to either go with frequency, the unsolved problems setting in motion concerning behaviors most often or getting in the way mm -hmm. most often, or gravity the unsolved problems having the greatest negative impact on your daughter's life or the lives of others. Okay. That's, that's so the usual algorithm. No, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So we have no Go official ahead. diagnosis, um, mostly because she masks really well. Um, she's none of that, which is great on the one hand. I mean, you know, school goes wonderfully. She's academically right where she needs to be. School says she's wonderfully behaved. Um, this only comes out with me, um, her brother, obviously, and then when she is in, um, like, a one-on-one -on -one situation, so it comes out at private swim lessons, but it wouldn't come out necessarily at, like, a team field hockey practice. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. So, so the, the four the absence of a diagnosis. The absence of a diagnosis, quite frankly, is neither here nor there as it relates to right. – you picking which unsolved problems you want to start with with her. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, I kind of feel like they go into four categories, like when she has any type of a demand placed on her. Like I did read into PDA a little bit, and I do think there might be something there, but, again, I know you don't care about that. Um, but any type of a demand, even something as simple as, like, getting dressed or brushing her teeth, 
she sees me helping the three-and-a-half-year-old with it, and so she wants me to help her with it. She doesn't want to do it independently. Um, and there's definitely so some let's, anxiety but let's stick there. with the algorithm. Let's stick with the algorithm. Okay. Irrespective of diagnosis, irrespective of category, are any of the unsolved problems you've identified setting in motion safety issues? Um, no, just not safety issues for her. <laughs> Safety issues just of her hitting her brothers or, you know, trying to, like, squeeze me or things like the unlucky, the unlucky behaviors that come out because okay. of Okay. Counts. But, no, she, nothing's a, a safety sense of which issue unsolved, for her. Right. Do you have a sense of which unsolved problems are most likely to cause her to be unsafe with her brother or unsafe with you? Um. When he, well, basically when he gets any type of attention from me, when, when the attention shifts from her to him, then there all of a sudden is, 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 is an issue. And sometimes she takes it out on me and sometimes she takes it out on him. So, okay. um, so you know, when we would be good. driving in the car, for example, and she has had her turn to talk, and then he takes a turn to talk, then all of a sudden it's, why are you paying attention to him? Why is he talking? And she'll, you know, lash out and hit him across the car. So you're in the ballpark. First of all, those would definitely count as safety issues, so those are going to be priorities. Now we just need to help you word your unsolved problems well. And um, whether it's shifting your attention from her to her brother or you doing something with her brother and not with her, you would just need to get a little bit more specific about the right. wording of the unsolved problems. The car one seems pretty specific already. Um, but the, the first thing I would say is you do have safety issues, and therefore you do have some priorities that relate to safety. Okay. I, I, I mean, Obviously, I need to ask her. You're absolutely right, because... Plan B is involving her in it, but I do suspect with all of the, the problems that go back to her brother, it is that I'm paying attention to somebody besides her because she doesn't even like That's... it when I pay attention, when I talk to another adult. I mean, she'll come over and grab me and say, why are you talking to them? Or if she knows we're going to a social activity where I will be talking to other adults, she'll try to jump in ahead of time before I get there and say, you're not allowed to talk to anybody. I want you to pay attention to me. You don't need to talk to other grownups. So it's, I think it definitely goes back. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of specific unsolved problems that go back to the root of her not wanting me to pay attention to anybody else but her. Your big decision is whether you want to include the word attention in the wording of the unsolved okay. problem or just be more specific like difficulty if mom is talking to brother instead of you. Right. Difficulty if your mom is talking to another adult. And you could be more specific about that, of course, um, right. when you're around. So I don't, I, I'm a little worried that put, throwing the word attention in there could be leading the witness a little bit just in the mere wording of the unsolved right. problem, and you don't want to do that. Sure. But it, it certainly sounds to me like you will have at least three unsolved problems that do cause safety issues. And with regard to your original question, where should you start? That's where you should start. Okay. 
All right. Now um, I'm going to see if – go ahead. Oh, uh, is it okay if I keep talking? Absolutely. Oh, okay. So some of the other – I guess my other question – or I have, I have a lot of questions. I could probably talk with you for the whole 45 minutes, but um, – is some of the things that that we have um, unsolved problems with are things that I necessarily can't control. So a huge issue every day is I don't want to go to school. We start every morning with I don't want to go to school. It's a power struggle to get her dressed in the morning, get her to eat some breakfast, get her to get in the car and put her seatbelt on. And I have broken that down with her because when she gets back in the school at the end of the day, she always seems happy. And when I ask her how her day was, she usually says good or okay. It's not horrible. So we have broken that down to, yes, she likes her teacher. Yes, she has friends at school. Yes, school is, is fine overall, but the day is too long, in her opinion. She's away from me for too long. She misses me. And we have come up with some suggestions, like I put notes in her lunchbox so that, and in her Chromebook so that she sees little notes from me throughout the day. Um, she has an Apple Watch. She can walkie-talkie me when she's out at recess to say hello to me. So we have tried to come up with some ways to make it not seem so long, um, but still in her mind it's too long. Um, but I can't – I mean, obviously I can't control that, you know, and I can't take her out half day every day because she feels like the school day is too long. So – and another thing is swim lessons. She has a real issue with going to swim lessons. Um, but in my mind, that's a safety issue. We live in an area where we are near and in water quite frequently. So to me, that's not really, that's a not negotiable as far as safety is concerned. So what do I do when she has having difficulty getting past something, but it's something that I really can't control? Well, and I'm going to ask uh, our, uh, our, my, our co-host, because I think Stella and uh, Jen have joined us now. But the, the, the first thing I'll say to that is um, just because you don't have complete control over an issue does not mean that it's not a problem that needs to be solved. Right. Absolutely. So the fact that you don't have perfect control over it that doesn't necessarily mean anything as it relates to can you still try to solve the problem with her. And it sounds like you've already tried to solve the school problem with her. I wouldn't put – swimming lessons in the safety category the way you have, we usually reserve the non-negotiable category, and we don't really even call it non-negotiable because plan B is not really about negotiating. Um, we're talking When we're talking about plan A, which is where you're imposing a solution, talking more about surprising emergent safety issues I still think you have a problem that needs to be solved as it relates to difficulty going to swimming, information mm -hmm. to gather from her, and uh, a solution to try to get to. But let me ask Jen and Kim and um, Stella if they have things they want to weigh in on here. <laughs> We're Stella's all afraid laughing. to talk over each other. <laughs> we're, Stella, we're all afraid to, go to talk first? over you're, each you're, other. You're giggling, so you get to go first if you want to. Stella? I think it was Jennifer giggling. It was? <laughs> I think it was. 
got it. Yeah. Jennifer, go ahead. Maybe maybe yeah. Stella's not with us. Or maybe Stella's not. I don't know. Um, Jen, I haven't ahead. talked to her this morning. It it's funny as I'm listening to you talk about your daughter wanting to be with you all the time. Um, it's it's one of those double-edged swords. There's a piece of you that, that wants that and a piece of you that doesn't want that, is my guess. Um, there's something very flattering about your kid wanting all of your attention um, until it makes you want to stick forks in your eyes. Uh-huh. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> and but, I'm at that lovely phase in my 40s, which I'm sure you can interpret, where some days I'm totally okay with it, and some days I want to stick forks in my eyes. And you never know which one of me you're going to get that day. <laughs> yes, I, I understand that. <laughs> um, it's, uh, and, and it's hard because... You know, that brings a whole different level of other things into it too with parental guilt and and you know you don't ever feel like it's okay to not want to be around your kids except that sometimes you really don't want to be around your kids um, you know really it's not so much I don't want to be around her it's more the parental guilt of am I ignoring the other two are the other two not yeah. getting the attention that they deserve also and The six-year-old boy is very sensitive, and I'm afraid that he might eventually have, you know, some self-esteem issues and stuff from potentially not getting the attention that he knows his older sister is getting. So it's it's more that for me. Okay. I I missed the very beginning of of when you and Dr. Green were talking. Um, I have something to add about that, actually. Um. If you want me to jump in, Jennifer, I don't know. Sure, Kim, go ahead. Okay. Um, So I heard you kind of say, you know, a lot of these unsolved problems go back to the core of her wanting to to be with you all the time. That, to me, is actually sort of a solution she has in her head. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know that that would need to be drilled a little bit more about, you know, what does that do for her? What is, you know, having you all to herself do for her? What does she tell herself when you're talking to brother and not her? What story is she telling herself? What's her brain saying to her? What does that mean to her? Because that's really the core. It's expressed as, you know, wanting you all the time, you know, and yet I think there's probably more to it. So I would keep those drilling strategies in mind. And if you haven't seen it, we do have a drilling cheat sheet to kind of help you ask questions in different ways to try to get at what that's about. Okay. And the other thing that that I was going to say uh, is that it's okay to take time to work through a Plan B conversation. Uh, Sometimes it, it, it can be very frustrating when you feel like, well, we've talked about this and we've talked about this and we still, I still feel like we haven't gotten anywhere, but sometimes the more complex the problem, the more conversations it's going to take. Um, so, and even when it doesn't seem like there's a possible solution, I'm amazed at some of the things that we've been able to eventually find solutions for. 
in in the long run, but it's taken going back and revisiting something many times over to get there. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to do that. Don't put a limit on your time just because it feels okay. like it's taking forever. <laughs> right. So, Mom, what do you right, think? Right. You've gotten quite a bit of guidance here. Um, I have. You now have a decent sense about which ones to prioritize, um, what difficulties you could run into in gathering information from her, but it does sound to me like you are well on your way. Any other questions before we um, move on to other emails on the program? Um, I guess if it's okay, just one more, I guess, I mean, again, I know we don't like to go back to the diagnosis, but I do think that a lot of the unsolved problems, like at least part of the root of it is anxiety. Um, And even if I do the best I can, as far as like, you know, telling her all the unknowns that I can possibly tell her warning her of transitions, you know, all of those kinds of things. If there is still that, that element of anxiety there, I, how, I mean, is there any suggestions of how I can kind of work through that with, because I don't know that she's necessarily going to know for her. I think like you're saying, what, what is at the root of her wanting to be with me? I think that, she needs a lot of hugs, and I think that helps lessen her anxiety. But if it's a situation where she can't, that's not going to be, you know, possible because she's not with me or, you know, something like that, is there another way to kind of help her work through her anxiety or find find solutions to, to those things? Does that make sense? It does. A- anxiety as a standalone issue is a little nebulous. And I'm not suggesting that she's not anxious. It's just that even with anxiety, if, I, if, if we said to you, your daughter is anxious, you mm-hmm. don't really have anywhere to go with that because it's still too vague, right? Okay, and, yeah. And her anxiety is going to manifest itself in a variety of ways as it relates to this model Hopefully, she can distill how her anxiety is affecting her into concerns. And here's the interesting, once you hear her concerns, what's making it hard to meet a particular expectation, it'll become apparent, I suspect, that just saying anxiety isn't specific enough to be actionable. You need more than anxiety so that you can try to address her concerns. So I guess that's the main thing. Uh, If somebody brought a kid to me for treatment and said they're anxious, I would have absolutely no idea what to do next until I found out what, what was meant by that and what specific concerns could be addressed that, by the way, may or may not trace back to the kid's anxiety. Um, So, it's good for you to know that your daughter's anxious, but also good to know that that's not really specific enough for you to know what direction to go at, go into as it relates to helping her. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Yep. 
And that's yeah. a big reason that's a big reason that we're not into labels. If I said right. to you, by the way, she also has ADHD, you don't you don't know what to do next. Right. If I said to you, you also she also has oppositional defiant disorder. Um, you haven't been led any closer to her lagging skills, which you now know, or to the specific problems that you could be busy solving with her. So that's why we are not particularly enthusiastic about those global labels. They don't tell us enough about what's going on with the kid to actually do something about it and help them. That makes sense. Yep, you're right. Okay. Good for you to know your daughter's anxious. You need more details than that. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. So that just goes back to more of the, the drilling about the specific unsolved problems then. You got it. All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me. <laughs> thank Dr. you for, Can calling, I add in. for calling in. Call in. Can I add one more, one more thought there? Oh, of course. Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think that even in the context of a plan B conversation, we get caught up in, in when you're talking about trying to help her with her anxiety. I know that sometimes, you know, you can't necessarily solve a feeling. And I have gotten caught up in an ugly circle of trying to solve anxiety. And then when it doesn't solve the anxiety, my son will sometimes then get even more anxious because we didn't solve the problem that in the, the, that immediate moment that was causing the anxiety, which means that he's not getting his anxiety right, which then makes him even more anxious. Um, so on occasion, well, actually more than on occasion, you know, leading with traditional empathy in those moments has been very helpful for us. I, I'm not going to try and make you feel better. I'm just going to acknowledge the fact that you're feeling that way and sit with you with it for a little bit because I know that it's not an easy way to feel. You don't always have to help it in terms of solving it. Sometimes it's enough to just, let them know that you're holding space with them in that anxious moment. I understand, yeah. Mom, you are welcome to call in again anytime you wish. Um, okay, thank We appreciate you. you calling in today. Thank you for having me. You bet. Take care. So an interesting example related to anxiety um, back when I used to be flight anxious, if I was just telling people that I was anxious, I would have probably gotten an, inter an intervention that was very global um, to try to knock down my anxiety. But I wasn't anxious most of the time. So now let's narrow it down further. I'm anxious about being on airplanes. Okay, now we have a specific focal point. Now let's do some drilling with my former self. Uh, what are you anxious about on airplanes? I'm worried that the plane will crash and I will die. Let's drill further. I am worried that every noise the airplane makes is an indication that the plane just broke and is going to crash and I will die. 
Um, and I'm very uncomfortable being at 35,000 feet in an aluminum tube filled with gasoline, something human beings really haven't been doing for most of human evolution. All right, now we have something to work on. And what's interesting is one of the things that was most curative for me was a video game, Microsoft Flight Simulator, where I learned what the noises on the airplane meant. And that helped me recognize that um, when those noises occurred, the plane was not broken, it was not crashing, and I was not about to die. Um, between that and uh, thousands and thousands of flights, I'm no longer flight anxious. But if all we had been working on was my anxiety, we really wouldn't have had a target to aim at because anxiety is too global. Kim, Jen, anything to add to that before we turn to our next caller? It uh, just made me think of think so. my own example where people were trying to, like, think that they knew what was going on inside my head around some anxiety, and they kept guessing wrong because they weren't asking me. <laughs> right? And it was actually quite specific. So I appreciate your example. Yeah. Now, to that point, if I had said to people I'm flight anxious and they had started theorizing, right, Oh, you just, uh, you're, I think you're flight anxious because um, you're shy. Yeah, it's, that's it. You're shy and you're flight anxious <laughs> because you're worried that you'll have to interact with people on the airplane, right? That, so that's it. So let's get you interacting. Let's, let's get you some trained up on interacting with people so you're no longer anxious about interacting with people on the airplane. There's a good example of people thinking they know what's going on with me without asking and applying an intervention based on what they think is going on with me that is completely off base because they didn't ask. Now, to, to mom's credit, she's asking. It's just that anxiety is a little bit too nebulous for her to sink her teeth into. Now, mom may have called back. Uh, let me see. Mom, is that you? Did you have another question? She's dropped. Okay. Let us move on to some email for today, shall we? Thank you. Uh, this parent is saying, I just read The Explosive Child and have been trying to apply its insights with our seven-year-old son. He's a wonderful kid, creative, silly, fun, funny, loves his sister and his dog. He has some very close friends because of covid he hasn't spent as much time with them outside of school as we would all like. So I think he's missed some valuable socialization opportunities. Mom then goes on to list many, many lagging skills. Um, <laughs> regarding listening, my son has told me that sometimes he just doesn't hear us, but I had no suggestions on how to handle this. Thus, my husband and I are trying to be more thoughtful about how we talk to him. He needs direct communication instead of general directions or group conversation. At school, he's got a sticker box, in parentheses, I know how much you love these, to help encourage <laughs> him to stay on track. 
At home, we've concluded that incentives don't work and are instead trying to apply the guidance in the explosive child and hope that this will transfer to his approach at school. Regarding keeping hands and feet to himself this is an ongoing issue at school and we are increasingly concerned about it. Some recent examples, he will touch someone's leg as they are walking by for no reason. He hit a friend for giving it away an answer during a group conversation. He put his food in front of another student's face without reason. During a game outside, he was sitting on a friend and when the game was over, she told him to get off, but he, does not, he did not despite repeated requests. And today he grabbed a friend's leg and would not let go, so she kicked him in the head more than once. Afterward, he is remorseful. During our conversation about this today, I finally learned that he thinks he's being funny, although he admitted nobody's laughing. He told us that when he's thinking of touching someone in the future, he will think about whether that's smart, which is a good idea. He's a kid, so it won't be perfect as he's very impulsive, but hopefully he can try to use this approach. Every day we're having conversations to the effect of the golden rule and listening to others to ensure that they listen to you too, but I feel like he's going to start tuning us out soon. Do you have any suggestions on how we can positively work with him? Uh, I've been talking a lot during this program, so Jen and Kim, one of you is first. <laughs> Your call, Jen. You or me? <laughs> well, I just as as you were reading that, Doctor Green, I was thinking every time this mom says "without reason," in my head, I was yep. translating that to "for a reason I haven't found yet." <laughs> Same here, because <laughs> there's always a reason. <laughs> The kid may not know it even yet, but there's something happening that's making that happen. There's always something. It's just a question of finding it. Well, and Mom did tell um, us that um, he thinks he's being funny, but I would yeah. I would want her to drill further. But sorry, Jen, there I go again, interrupting. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, and, and, yeah, you know, I think that in a conversation outside of that moment, he probably knows he's not being funny, and he probably knows that the other person isn't enjoying whatever he's doing, and he probably already knows that he shouldn't be touching people when they don't want to be touched, and all of those things are things that he already knows because he he's already learned them. It's just that in those moments, what he knows is not necessarily making it from one part of his brain to the other. You know, so continuing to try to reinforce those things that he already knows isn't really going to help. Those were my two initial thoughts in listening. Got it. Kim, what's your two cents? Well, I agree on the, the for no reason because there actually was some clues about the reason. Um, aside from the thinking it's funny, but, you know, when uh, there was many examples and I couldn't write very fast, so I might get them wrong, but, you know, when the game was over and it was, you know, time to not be sitting on his friend anymore, 
there was that is a reason to not know what to do or or maybe you think it's funny and um you know and and I agree that I'd like to know more about the funny part is he thinking it's fun it's going to be funny to someone else is that his goal because some kids are really after just their own kicks you know so if it's funny for him and he doesn't it doesn't really matter to him if it's not funny to somebody else but he's understanding that um it can be funny to him, but it has to be okay with somebody else. He's got that already, right? So maybe the thinking, is it smart, might need to be tweaked a little bit as far as like, well, I'm going to think this is funny. Well, they think it's funny. Um, I frankly know plenty of adults who um, their sense of humor doesn't really translate (laughs) to other people. And so they're Mm. thinking it's funny and kind of stymied why somebody else wouldn't think it's funny, you know? Um, but it sounds like from all the examples given, I'm hoping that an ALSIP um, has been done because there are a lot of rich, specific examples just in this email, right? And so, um, you know, the ones that are occurring at school are going to be a little harder for the parents to work on because they don't have firsthand knowledge and they probably have to coordinate with somebody at school, but that might give them an in to somebody who's kind of um, – sensitive to their way of thinking about him because I heard, you know, mom say that she's, you know, wanting school to not be doing the sticker box and to be instead working on lagging skills and unsolved problems. So coordinating with somebody at school who's got some firsthand information observation for some of those school-based ones um, would, you know, might be a good in and might be a way to solve them faster. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I don't think that all the examples sounded like he thought he was being funny. I think that there were other things that other other things could have been going on. And so, you know, again, just a plug for make doing a complete ALSIP and picking your priority to start with and um, being split in specific and doing that. Because um, you might be surprised at what you find out is actually happening. Thank you for that. Uh, Mom's last question was, do you have any suggestions on how we can positively work with him? And Mom, my answer is, I think you've started already. Keep going. Um, If you haven't, as Kim was saying, if you haven't yet used the LSUP to identify all of your son's lagging skills and unsolved problems, I would do that. You'll need to prioritize because I have a feeling he's going to have more than three unsolved problems to work on, and you're not going to be able to work on more than three at once. Um, I personally and professionally am skeptical about whether stickers are going to help him um, stay on track. Um, I have a feeling about that, but um, (laughs) I, I could be wrong. Um, and my only last comment is, Kim, I hope that the adults who you were referring to who aren't as funny as they think they are <laughs> wasn't a reference to me, but anyways, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's, we better move on before I respond. Let, that's, that's exactly right. Be, be, before you have a chance to answer, let's get to another email. This is probably going to be the last one of the day. Uh, This one says, loved your book, but looking for more help slash suggestions. We have a difficult and explosive 13-year-old who fits a lot of the characteristics that you describe in The Explosive Child. 
I like the idea of the collaborative approach, which has started to make our connection with our 16-year-old better, but not the 13-year-old. How to find a collaborative approach to self-care and electronics time, for example. For example, I see that you're having a hard time getting away from your computer. A unilateral four-hour restriction leads to kaboom. So looking for suggestions. Still a straight-A <laughs> student but doesn't eat or sleep or brush teeth or play with friends because it takes away time from the only fun and joy in his life. Any suggestions? Well, now, I've gone first. And... Um, oh. Jen, you've gone first, and uh, this is the last email we'll be able to cover today, and only one of us hasn't gone first, and it's not the guy with the really good sense of humor. So, uh, Kim, want to take a stab? This is payback. (laughs) Yeah, and the reason why it's payback is that unsolved problems related to screen time and electronics are among the trickiest to solve, not impossible, but among the trickiest to solve. Right. And so um, it sounds like there's maybe more than one unsolved problem around electronics. So I'd get real clear on what parents expectations actually are around electronics. So like uh, this is often what we're talking about when we're talking about screen time. Like we're very clear as parents on what we don't want to happen, but we want to actually define what it is we'd like to see happen. And I'm not, these are examples. I'm not telling anybody that they should adapt these because every household is different and every kid is different. Um, But for example, if you think that a reasonable expectation around screen time would be, you know, no more than three hours of screen time after homework's done on school nights or something like that, right? That that's what your actual expectation would be. Then you've got a starting point to work on why that's hard, right? And so, um, and it is hard because screens are super seductive. We're talking about that a lot um, these days and for a while now, right? And so, um, and I, and you're definitely not alone in, you know, having this like kind of plan A four hour, we're not doing this screen thing for this block of time, you know, leading to explosions. I think you're in very good company with um, many families experiencing that same issue. And yeah, I think be prepared that this is going to take some time. You're going to, you know, need to be aware of, again, the drilling strategies for asking questions in different ways to really understand where he's coming from. Um, and really understand, you know, what role the screens are playing for him and what they're doing for him and why it might be hard to end at the end of three hours or why it might be hard to hold off until homework's done before he starts, um, whatever, again, the expectation might be. Um, but I would be prepared that it's going to take a couple, if not more than a couple, conversations before you actually <laughs> even are close to arriving at a potential solution. Um, that's what I got. Anybody else want to weigh in? Uh, my only two cents are that trying to get him off at the four-hour mark. First of all, this sounds like a tough situation because it sounds like all the, the straight A's is the only facet of life that we would say this kid is participating in life on. So I'm glad for the straight A's, but... Um, on very few other aspects of functioning is 
is, is this kid actually participating in life? So we've got a problem here. The fact that setting a limit at four hours sets off kaboom, and Kim, this is similar to what you said, but saying it in a different way, tells me that there is the potential in this situation that there is no expectation yet. It sounds like there is no expectation for how long the kid can stay on the screen, and trying to end it at four hours sets off kaboom, but what is the expectation? If there's none, we do need an expectation. And then trying to get them off at four, the four-hour mark is not plan A. Uh, what's the expectation? It all starts with that. If he has trouble meeting the expectation, now we have a problem that needs to be solved. But we can't really solve a problem if we don't know what the expectation is that the kid's having difficulty meeting in the first place. Jen, any pearls that you can express in 15 seconds or less? <laughs> we had a conversation like that with my son once upon a time where he told us that being on his computer was the only thing that he could control that brought him joy. And that's heartbreaking to hear as a parent, but the way to increase joy in his life was not to take away the one thing that brought him joy. It was to help him find other things that he could add to the list. I'm very, I'm very glad you said came. that. So. On that note, we're going to have to call it a day. Thank you both, as always, for your insights and um, pearls of wisdom. We'll be back next week with another program. Take care, everybody. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.